This is Liquid Gold. All right, where the drinks are slow and the lights are low. Welcome back to Liquid Gold right here on the We Own This Town podcast network. High atop the studios in Wedgwood, Houston, here at the We Own This Town media complex. Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) Uh, My name's Mike Wolf here with you today along with my co-host. I'm Kenneth. Kenneth Dedman. Kenneth Dedman in the house. We have some booze news coming up later, and we have a very special guest today to talk about and talk to. His name is Danny Childs, and he is a uh, proponent of slow drinks. So we're going to talk about what that is, what that means, and why we love it so much. We're big fans of Danny. He's got a lot going on. He's based uh, in New Jersey and Philadelphia, does some cocktail programs there, does the drinks at the farm and fish out there where he's won some local awards and stuff. And he's also working on a book and hoping to get the book out, I believe, later this year. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But he's just got a lot of cool stuff going on. Check him out. Follow him at Slow Drinks. And uh, we're going to get him on the phone here shortly. And we're talking today like spring is here in Nashville. We see it. It's everywhere. You can look out the window. You see trees flowering, trees blossoming, grass greener more greenery the honeysuckles i can see out the window here are already green that's Mm -hmm. a good sign that spring is here um i'm sure that danny's a little bit behind up there up northeast but uh are you feeling it what do you what do you like to drink like once spring starts kicking in do you kind of move to to tequila do you move to rum or how do you kind of do you start listening to different music I don't know. What goes on? I'm not too excited about it, honestly. (laughs) You got the allergies kicking in? Not yet. Not yet. I just, I feel that coming. I thought we'd have a little bit. I thought it'd snow, man. Yeah, we never got the snow. My kids are really upset. I'm just going to like have like really nice days for a little while and then it's just going to be balls ass hot. Like, not cool. Not cool. Yeah, it might be. At this rate, it might be summer by late April. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... But we're going to talk about all the different ingredients that, that come out this time of year. It's a great time to be a forager. Kenneth and I have done some foraging in our time for, yeah, for Husk. And uh, we have gone out and found, found really cool ingredients to use for this time of year. There's a lot popping out there in nature. It's a good time to be out in nature. So we're going to go over all that with Danny. I do want to mention I'll be at the Lake Oconee Food and Wine Festival coming up March 17th through the 19th. Lake Oconee, just south of Atlanta there. Um, did it last year. It was a ton of fun. Beautiful event there at the Ritz, right on the water at Lake Oconee. I'll be doing a cocktail class you can buy tickets for on March 18th. So check that out at lakeoconeefoodandwine.com. The, at, by the time this airs, the, the class will be close to being sold out. You do get a free copy of Cheer, the Liquid Gold Holiday Drinking Guide, with a ticket. So you'll get a free copy of the book. We're going to go over making some awesome cocktails. We're going to talk some spring cocktails, obviously, at the class. And um, there will be... So we have the gateway drink in the book, which is basically this way that you can take whiskey and make it not like a super strong old-fashioned or a strong Manhattan. You can take it and make something lighter, use like some lemonade, use some of the flavor affinities that go with whiskey, like ginger, lemon, mm. all these different beautiful flavor affinities um, and that's how you kind of make a gateway drink. So we're going to be talking about that in the class. And there will be a gateway drink that will be the signature drink of the weekend. We're going to be using some of Cathead's own Old Soul bourbon. And uh, and also some of the Cathead honeysuckle. So shout out to Cathead and everybody over there. Look forward to working with them at Lake Oconee here coming up real soon. All right, let's get Danny Sounds on the phone. Fun. All right, he's on the line on the Liquid Gold hotline here, coast to coast. <laughs> We're real excited to have Mr. Danny Childs on the line. Danny, welcome to Liquid Gold. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Excited to be talking to to somebody I admire so much in the industry. And oh, yeah, thank you, great. thank you. Oh, you're you're a sweet one. Uh, admire you as well, man. You're doing so so many cool things. Uh, you've you've done a lot of amazing things over the years. Now you're working on a book. Is that right? I am. We're just putting the finishing touches on it now. Amazing. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's been it's been quite a long process, but I'm I'm so happy with how it's turned out and yeah, it'll be uh it'll be on the shelves September twelfth. Wow, that's soon. Oh, amazing. 
That's great, man. Congratulations. I want to talk about a little bit about that process and stuff. But first, um, just so everybody knows, you can follow Danny. He's based in the Northeast, and we'll kind of localize and figure out where exactly you're at and where you're foraging and what you're doing. But uh, you can follow Danny at Slow Drinks on Instagram. That's at Slow Drinks. And you're such a proponent of that idea of like a slow drink. So tell us and tell our listeners, what is a slow drink? A slow drink is a typically botanically created beverage, sometimes a cocktail, sometimes not, um, mm-hmm. made with ingredients typically grown in my garden, harvested from the wild, or sourced from a small farmer in, in this area. And this area, by the way, is uh, I live just outside of Philadelphia in southern New Jersey. Okay. And... I typically tend to take a sort of historical and anthropological approach to my cocktails. So Mm. when the beverage is in the glass at the end of it, it's sort of this little anecdote that weaves together all of these stories of botany and history and culture and terroir and, you know, how, what's, what's growing here and, and how it's, how I'm using it, how it's been used for centuries or, or longer. Yeah. And, Hopefully something that that tastes good at the end of it. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, the that's ultimate awesome. goal as well. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, it looks like you know you you craft these just beautiful cocktails and beverages. You do a lot of really cool fermentation. Um, so the book itself is it a slow drinks book or what exactly is the book? So the book is it's separated into kind of two parts like Mm -hmm. the introductory material basically which is the the philosophy and the sort of like overarching like master recipes that can that can be adapted and applied to anywhere in the world and the second half of the book is how that looks in praxis you know in my my yearly growing calendar here in the northeast Mm -hmm. um so um it basically like an intro to myself, the basics, what you need to complete the book and stock a bar and stuff like that. And then preservation techniques. That's probably the most dense chapter. Um, Very cool. Yeah. You've so, made Amaro's you've made really cool, like root beer, like sodas. Yeah. So it's like it, it, it's broken down and by fermented ingredients. So we've got sodas, beers, wines, meads, um, kombucha, like lacto fermented ingredients, vinegars, and then from there, vinegar preserves, you know, how to pickling things, how to make, you know, take that wine and make vermouth, how to, you know, infuse things and make amari or bitters or, um, different liqueurs. So really sort of basic recipes in that chapter that, like I said, or, you know, if this is how I'm doing it here in the Northeast with this ingredient, but swap in another ingredient from wherever you live and bake it yours. And then, yeah, then jump right into the spring, kind of this, which is right where we are right now. And then go through, uh, each chapter will have basically eight botanically centered sort of entries and, and background on that ingredient. And then a preservation process associated with it. And then, a cocktail at the end and each season also has an Amari at the end of each chapter. Nice. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my wife photographed it all. Somehow we managed to do it with two kids, like basically under two the entire time, but it's tough. I've been there, man. That's tough. It is. It is. It's, uh, it's like a third child. We always joke. Yeah. Um, but we're thrilled with how it turned out and and feel like it's a slow drinks book, but it's meant like I like I keep coming back to to be adaptable for for people all over the place. Awesome. Well, so what's it what's it been like? So for us here, we're you know, we're we're here talking like springtime. Springtime's popped out here way early. Yeah, we are in our early spring and it's yeah. booming. Yeah booming right now it's wild i know we've had different winters you guys have had a little bit more of a traditional winter up there but has it been a warm winter and is spring coming early up there as well oh it's been such a warm winter spring came like i'd say at least a full month earlier than 
than it has in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, by in early February, late January, like we were seeing, you know, starting to see da- dandelions blooming and my neighbor's crocuses like pop up all over their yard. And, yeah, you know, typically that's like, you know, late February, early March here. It's, and we had like a, a bitter cold week in December, um, maybe another couple days here and there. But by and large, it has been an incredibly mild winter and an incredibly early spring. Yeah, pretty much the same in the south. All, exactly the same. Yeah, we're way ahead. I, I mowed the backyard the other day, which is about oh my six gosh. weeks early. Yeah. That's crazy. Wild. Yeah. We were, um, I'm driving with my AC. My AC's yeah, on. Yeah, I had the yeah. AC on today. It's about 75 degrees here right now. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. So for you... What does that mean in terms of like springs popping early, uh, winter shutting down early? What kind of ingredients do you get excited about this time of year? For me, like the first thing is dandelions. I mean, it's mm-hmm. they, they're it's ironic because they bloom and they kind of hang around for so long. After they bloom, you know, you, you'll see dandelion flowers like well into the summer. But mm-hmm. um, it's that first like hallmark thing for me that is pretty much the same for everybody. You know, everyone's got dandelions growing in their yard and it's such a, a a ubiquitous ingredient. Um, but something I, I just get really excited about. It's like the idea of the, the spring tonic, you know, that, that grows right under your nose in in many cases. Definitely. Um, I love dandelions. They, I put them on the cover of garden to glass. Um, uh even to the point that people were like, you know, some people involved in it were like, are you sure you want a dandelion? front and center like that <laughs> I said yes <laughs> you get a tattoo uh, yeah right um what do you like to do with dandelions because i feel like those first uh the first couple weeks of like dandelions popping out they're so much more vibrant the flavor is so much better than if it's like july agree what do you like to do with them i have been making them into dandelion mead for for years at this point oh, neat. um and so i basically you go out in the backyard and my backyard is just a mosaic of weeds, mm-hmm. um, basically. So I just go out there and take my kids with me and we just, we pick as many yellow flowers as we can. I go into my neighbor's yard. He lets me pick all his. Um, and then I get probably enough to fill maybe like a five gallon bucket and I can make, I usually split it in half and make like 10 gallons of dandelion mead. Wow. Um, so yeah, water, the blossoms and uh, honey, a little bit of lemon juice in there just to acidify it a little bit. And then mm-hmm. um, let a, pretty much let a wild fermentation take place from the blossoms. And I'll bottle some still. And then I also uh, will allow some to carbonate in the bottle so you can have like sparkling dandelion mead. Yay. Very cool. How long do you let it go for? I usually do like usually about five weeks average for like the primary fermentation and then uh rack into bottles and i'll put a little bit of honey like primer in those bottles i want to sparkle and then the other ones mm-hmm. i'll just let let sit still and yeah it's pretty fascinating sorry it's a really large loud car driving by pretty fascinating as like after doing this for a few years and as my family kind of our families my wife and i is kind of you know getting a little bit interested in like what's this cocktail stuff they're doing you know what's this this fermentation stuff it turns out that on both sides of my wife and my family um has a history of making dandelion wine um which oh, i wow. just found i thought it was so fascinating like That's her amazing. katie's great-grandfather made it and he lived she she her family's from like pennsylvania dutch country like out by like lancaster there's a lot of large amish population stuff but he is of german descent and like learned it from his ancestors and um on my mom's side like we found this old video of like my 96 year old like great 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 aunt talking about how her mom made it and how all the kids would drink it at dinner time it just was like it was so fascinating to kind of like close that that loophole um yeah. you know and kind of like reinvigorate a family tradition by doing it that's incredible man i love that i love when stuff like that works out Go same ahead. thing with sassafras I, you know learning the same thing making sassafras root beer um and and my great uncle eddie telling me you know my dad used to make a big day out of that with all the kids every year like we'd go out we'd pick the saplings it just you know it's kind of taking something you know 
inherently ancient and sort of making it new again. That's so cool. Well, I feel like too with dandelions, it's so smart to think about mead because that's one of the hallmarks I feel like of the the early spring dandelions is they do have that honey aroma and that kind of mildly honey taste. Um, Absolutely. So that's perfect. I love that. Tell us about your your root beer that you've made. I know that you like to, you know, usually blend in like some pine, if I remember right, and maybe like a little bit of fruit, some spice. So yeah, yes. tell me about your root beer. I do like a spring batch. It's a bit labor intensive. Like I'll, I'll make some and have it here at home, but um, it's a bit labor intensive, as as I'm sure you've you've experienced. Um, but I'll do a spring batch and a fall batch. So in the spring batch. I typically tend to go just sassafras with that one, whereas in the fall I'll kind of put in some of those more like heady piney and tea berry and wintergreen and birch sort of flavors in there. With the the one in the spring, I just do like just straight sassafras roots, and it's so funny. Like the first the first time, like so much of this is is like just winging it and seeing if it works or if it doesn't, you know. Mm. Um, but when I was first kind of getting into the path I'm on now, I took my dog to the dog park and, uh, it's like a a big wooded area with trails for dogs to roam. And I just reached down and grabbed a leaf and crinkled it and, you know, sniffed. I was like, Oh, that's, that's sassafras. Let me see what the roots like, you know, pulled it out and just kept pulling them out of, of the ground and took them home, cleaned them and just put them in a big stock pot and kind of reduced the water by half. Um, so then that like sassafras root tea, I then sweeten add again, just a little tiny bit of, of lemon juice too. And, uh, and then I culture that with, with the ginger bug, which is like our, you know, our soda scoby or, or mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my surprise, the, four days later popped a bottle. It was sudsy. Like it looked like a, a the mug root beer label from you know it just was like it was a hallmark sudsy glass of root beer um which you know it was an experiment that went well they don't all go that well but that particular one did and i really haven't messed with the recipe too much since um it's it's pretty much perfect how about you do you do you do uh an appellation root beer or a style and i love using uh virginia pine that's something we've got out here i don't know if you've got that up there but virginia pine it's a long leaf pine it's got i always say it's got it's not necessarily christmas tree it's more like lemon cookies yeah um it's got a really nice bright citrus thing so i loved using that and then also, I remember the, we got like a we got a patch of sassafras that that we we go to all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, it's like, at a frisbee right here in the frisbee, city. Yeah. yeah, it's at a frisbee. It's off to the side of a frisbee golf course. Didn't we break a shovel out there one time? We broke a shovel yeah, trying to yeah. trying, thought, trying thought, to get up a I'm really trying to make sure I didn't daydream that. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get up yeah. a really big root. So that's what I feel like people might not realize is they can be really difficult to get out of the ground. Oh, uh, they can be huge. They can yeah. be huge. And they they are difficult. I feel like I like I have back pain for days after pretty much every time I do it because it's like you're really you're really fighting. Yeah, um, and our recommendation is usually like do it after a, a lot of rain. So if you've had yeah. like a heavy rain, that's a good time to try to get out there and not yeah not hurt your back as much, not break a shovel like mm-hmm. we did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I feel like another thing about sassafras that uh, that people might not realize is how the branches especially this time of year in spring they'll have uh like some of the green branches on like a smaller sapling will have the flavor of like wintergreen yes. they'll have more mint more lemongrass it's really really uh complex and incredible definitely um so you mentioned the ginger bug which i think is that's something people could do at home that's a great way to like make you know a little fermentable sodas but what's your what's your process there for doing your ginger bug it's basically like a a slow drinks sourdough start starter <laughs> exactly yeah it's like a we call it our restaurant pet you know we've been taking care of it for all these years and it's basically just a slurry of water gin grated ginger and simple syrup and it's a living, breathing thing. I, if uh, I don't know if you saw, I just posted the time lapse um, I took of of the ginger bug in our liquor room at the restaurant. Um, oh, cool! I don't see it. I haven't seen it. it. 
it was like an hour and a half time lapse and you can just see this thing breathing. It's, it's insane. And so, yeah, we just, we have had this one for, uh, for years. Like we, we feed it twice a week. We feed it with grated ginger and, and a little bit of simple syrup. And, um, and then every time we make a batch of soda wort, we just inoculate it with a little bit of ginger bug and nice. all of the beneficial bacteria and yeast from, from inside the slurry start eating the sugars in whatever flavor soda we're making. And then, you know, after two days of primary fermentation, we kick it into the bottle and shut the bottle and then it force carbonates itself in there after typically another two days, roughly. Mm -hmm. Um, certain things are a little bit more active than others, but more or less that's the, the, the basics of the process. And we've made everything from root beer to, you know, juniper soda and coffee soda. And I've been working on like a chicory cola. Yeah. I mean, it's, I have never really made a soda that didn't work, you know, or didn't Mm -hmm. obviously tweaking recipes and, uh, you know, as you, as you taste things and and continue to sort of refine them. But, you know, the, the basic principles we've applied, you know, to, to dozens of flavors and have really had, had so much success with it. And it's, it's become such a hallmark, definitely of my approach, but even just like our, the restaurant, you know, where I manage the bar, it's, it's called the farm and fisherman. And it's, it's a pretty high volume restaurant in the suburbs. And it's like a, a neighborhood place, a lot of families and, um, really people from all walks of life, which I, I love so much about it, but it's become such a staple of, of our program there. And, you know, starting with just making ginger beer seven years ago to now having a person pretty much dedicated just to, to doing sodas. Um, wow. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I bet you go out of town and you're like, you guys better feed the ginger bug or there's going to be problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Keep that boy alive. Yeah. Have you have you ever had bottle explosion and problems with that? In our early days, yeah. Since I'm, it took a few months of of trying different things to make it make it work, and in the beginning, we definitely had some learning curve stuff with that. But in the years since, we we do like just a much more hands on approach, where it's like as soon as it goes in the bottles, you know, pretty much twi- in the morning and right before we leave, we just like. You just push the swing cap a little bit, and if it hisses, if it hisses like it's it's got air inside or it's got CO two inside, you know, we look to see that it gets to that right level, and then as soon as it does, we pop it into the fridge. So mm-hmm. um, now now that we're like years into it, we have it pretty much down to to an inexact science, I would say. Um, uh-huh. I used I used to have to trust this guy that made the ginger beer, and like uh, I remember he, at Merchants, yeah, right? he would make a lot like of exploding a, make a good one, uh-huh. but like sometimes he was like, uh, you were wondering if he was like in a rush to leave that day, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you'd know it like a couple days later, like uh, when yeah. you had one that blew like blew up in your face. It was yeah, more. It was scary, more terrifying and uh, embarrassing than it was dangerous. But well, you I had bring a up a good point. You, have, you bring up a good point because I remember that room because we did work together there for for a little while. This was God. This was about twelve years ago. But that room was warm. It was a pretty yeah, it was warm really room, hot. which can be tough to to do with fermentation. So, Danny, let's put it to you. Do you how, how closely are you monitoring temperature and how much do you think about temperature when you're doing all these fermentation experiments? It's certainly something to take into consideration, you know, something that's fermenting in the winter versus the summer, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to affect the rate. Yep. Something that's in your basement versus on top of your, your fridge is going to ferment slower. You know, we at the restaurant, it's, you know, pretty much a steady 72 degrees in there, which is like kind of perfect, you know? Yeah, that's good, um, good temperature. Yeah. But, you know, it's certainly when you're changing environments up, like my, my wife doesn't like when I have all my soda experiments on the kitchen counter. So sometimes I get bumped down into the basement and it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit slower down there, obviously, um, especially mm-hmm. depending on which time of year it is. So yeah, it's, it's certainly something to take into consideration. And like I sort of alluded to before, as is the ingredient, you know, juniper is always a really, a really slow ferment, like sometimes up to like five days in the bottle until it's, until it's ready. Whereas like we make a grapefruit tapache with, uh, with agave and that's like six hours. It's good to go, you know? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that sounds we, good. 
I make like a salted watermelon soda in the summertime and same thing. It's, it's just needs a few hours. Otherwise, like you said, you, you might get a, uh, a face full of watermelon soda if you're not careful. So are you in the process right now of like putting together a like spring cocktail menu for farm and fish? Are you kind of in the R and D phase or where are you at with that? Yeah, we've, we are kind of in the, the, waiting for everything to bloom phase we're like just mm-hmm. just getting there here now like the cherry blossoms just popped like a couple of days ago so we have a very um kind of fluid menu at, at the restaurant and um a lot of it has to do with sort of like when ingredients run out like from our preserves then we kind of phase into the next one some things mm-hmm. are a little bit more abrupt than that but um certainly we'll we're eyeing you know dandelion and ramps and uh we'll get started on that batch of sassafras root beer soon and yeah definitely we're the gears are turning with the team and and we're hoping in the next uh probably in the next like two three weeks to start start putting some stuff on there that's um, already i haven't even thought about ramps yet this year with the early with this such yeah they've got the early spring in my life so yeah like, and i feel like in mid in uh, eastern tennessee they're probably ready to I'm go i'm feeling yeah people are already going to elevations for yeah them, yeah like, uh, Wow. We'll have to keep an eye out. There's a place here Thanks in uh, Nashvilleians, if you're listening. If you're looking for uh, sustainably harvested ramps, Green Door Gourmet is one of the only places I know of in town uh, where you can get them. Do you... So I've I always found ramps to be very difficult to work into beverages because they're so intense. A raw ramp is like biting into 10 garlic cloves at once. So do you make like a like a Gibson style thing? Do you do you uh, do you preserve it, pickle it? How do you use ramps into uh, your cocktail arsenal? Yeah, so we we do we do a Gibson. I think that that's nice. like the 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 least like people know what they're getting into when they're drinking a Gibson, you know? For sure. Um, and yeah, it's it's tricky. We pick we pickle them, and and I have I've stopped using the bulbs. You know, I I've obviously it's it's one of that's what all the hipsters say (laughs) i tell you i tell you but yeah that's good like uh, everyone's cutting ramps so that uh so that you can go back and get them again yeah exactly um and so yeah i i I stopped picking the bulbs last year and i just pickled the greens Mm -hmm. um and then we just we use the brine from that to make like a a dirty gibson um and when it's available Chive, a chive blossom floating on the glass looks really nice. Mm. Um, but we, uh, the days of, of the pickled bulb in the bottom, um, have, have unfortunately mm. passed, but yeah. you know, it's, um, it's a specific cocktail for people who are into that. You know, people are very, people have a lot of opinions about martinis, you know? <laughs> so for sure, for sure. Uh, our, uh, our buddy, uh, Kevin King out in Charleston back in the day, we, we were doing a, we, yeah, we were doing a Gibson, like a, a ramp Gibson. Yeah. We didn't put it on the menu. It tasted, we would, yeah. We it tasted talk like about pizza. Yeah. yeah. So we were like, uh, like I think one day we, 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 Kevin and I were making them and throwing a, like a pepperoni <laughs> in the class with it. I <laughs> love it. That's hilarious. I love it. But it tasted to us like so much like pizza. Like Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, do you so for your program there, do you get to kind of just change a couple drinks at a time? Like do you have to do huge menu overhauls or are you like cuz you're everything you're working with, you're so hyper seasonal like for you there's probably more like 8 seasons, 10 seasons in a given year. Totally. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like we you know we've got the classics that people know they can count on being on the menu forever, or at least for the most part. And then we have like our seasonal section. And I, I in the past used to try to do like total menu overhauls, but um, at this point now, it's I feel like what works best for us and our guests is just like we change one out at a time or two out at a time. You know, whatever. Like maybe we're running out of things. Maybe that ingredients passed. Whatever. Uh, maybe we're just tired of it, uh, and then we'll we'll go into the next kind of micro season. We have we have a really large garden on site at the restaurant, which we're really fortunate to mm. have. And so, like we're out there, you know, prior to service, picking garnishes and and you know doing our best to preserve things as they sort of come in and out of season. 
So yeah, it's it's certainly you know garnishes for instance could change every day. Um, there mm. are other things like our we call it like our tavern tea, you know, which is just like our like dried herbs sort of in, infused into. We use it in like a Gibson or um, a Gimlet variation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use it to make our own like our kombucha. We we use it in a bunch of different ways, but that tavern tea is different every single time we brew it, you know, which I I love that sort of. Um, spontaneity same with you know the amari i i made my annual batch of winter amaro last week and i always do it sort of at the end of the season um and this season i happen to have a lot of herbs present you know popping up in the garden so it's like all right that's reflective of this year Mm -hmm. put it in the put in the 23 winter amaro you know yeah yeah very cool so what kinds of things are you looking at in the garden right now um, I want to, I do want to talk about maybe some of your like deep woods foraging in a minute, but, uh, sure. what kinds of stuff are you, are you looking at in your garden? Like, how are you kind of getting ready for the new season and what, what's different, you know, as we, it just seems like we're entering maybe into a, a more permanent shift of seasons in America, or it, it seems like it, you know, s- spring's going to be earlier. Summer will be earlier. Summer will be does. longer. Yeah. It's crazy. It does. I mean, we, you know, I remember being like a kid and, and even up until, you know, maybe a decade ago, it was like people further South Baltimore or Washington, they would always get the, the mix of sleet and snow, but we would get snow. New York would get snow and obviously the Northeast and, and like now that's shifted even up to New York where I feel like they're getting, but they didn't get snow until last week for the first time this year. It's, it's, uh, it feels like it's going to be more permanent for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm like reckoning with that as we speak, it's like, are we going to have another frost? Can I put seeds in the ground? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, should I be starting, you know, typically I would, I would wait until like third week in March to start my seeds indoors. Yeah. I Um, had to hurry up and germinate. I got all kinds of shit that I started germinating two weeks ago, but I didn't trust it. I didn't trust it. I was still like, I'm glad I did it. Yep. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I did it, and I'm like, I need to pull the trigger. I think, because you just, yeah. I mean, you, your nightmare is to do all that work and then have a frost, and it, you know, it crush everything. But the things that are popping right now in the garden, my rhubarb's just starting to emerge. I just oh, have cool. like two little baby stalks coming out. A lot of the perennial herbs, my bronze fennel and my valerian, are starting to to reemerge. My wormwood. That's always one of the first. It's like always one of the first, one of the last. Mm-hmm. Cardoons and artichokes are starting to come back, um, and then like I, I'm noticing more and more dandelion flowers every time I'm out there. Although it's not technically like something I plant in my garden, it's certainly all around my garden. You know, it's welcome to see for some of us. <laughs> exactly. You've done some cool rhubarb cocktails. What what kinds of stuff do you like to do with rhubarb? I love making I, – I make this rhubarb hibiscus soda every year without mm. fail. It's just so good. We you know, we serve it by itself as a non-alcoholic drink. We do it with uh, tequila and like a rhubarbera float on top wow. um, in, a high, in a highball style. Yes. Um, we call that the, the Mexican rhubarb mule. Nice. Um, and then I always make – I always make like sparkling like rhubarb wine too, which like actually becomes like crystal clear and like – it's really acidic and dry and just like it tastes cool. like champagne. Wow, yeah. Very cool, man. That's, that's dope. Is that going to be in the book? That one did not make the cut, but the Uh-oh. soda did. Oh, nice. The soda did. Yeah, I will. It, it was in the original. In, obviously I'm sure you, you had this experience too. Things get cut through the process, you know, um, Definitely. So that, that, that might be like, uh, you know, maybe for like, I don't have a sub stack, but if I had a sub sub stack or some form of, well, of platform like that, it's like, Hey, for, for all of you subscribers, here's the, uh, the rhubarb champagne recipe. You know, it'd be cool is to get you back right around the time the book's coming out and you're doing book promo. We could get you back on and we'd be like, tell us the good stuff you had to leave out. Absolutely. And that, might be, that might be kind of fun. Cause we had, you know, we did a holiday book with like 160 recipes or something. And we, I couldn't get Coquito in there. We have like twelve eggnogs, and and I, you know, I just kept bothering my editor towards the end of the process. I was like, "Oh shit, I forgot to put coquito in there. I gotta get coquito." He's just like, "Nope, no more. You're done." Yep. Are you at that point now? Or are you can you still add a couple things? Or are you like, I can't add anymore? 
we're pretty we're pretty much done so like and we you know are it's so interesting to, to go through this process because in your mind you're like i'll just write a book and you know when you like when we signed with the publisher, they're like, your book will be 262 pages. And it's like, oh, well, wow. I, how do you, how do you know that? You know? <laughs> and they're like, well, that's what we're telling you. Your book can be. So at the end of the process, our editor was like, okay, we have an issue. The book's 400 pages. Um, so, so we lost a whole chapter. We, we just cut it. We cut, mm. I had a, a history chapter in there, which I, which I thought, you know, we kind of were warned throughout the process. Like, this is very interesting, but other people have written it <clears throat> in mm-hmm. the past, but I felt mm-hmm. like it just was an important means to kind of frame what we're, what, what I'm trying to, to portray with the book. So at the end, she's like, if we cut the history chapter, we should be good. And, um, I said, okay, like reluctantly, you know? Yeah. It's well, you like, should think of a way to kind of distribute that. You could maybe do like an abridged version on the website for the book or something. Yeah, definitely. Like, like, that could be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's interesting information, you know, and, uh, and certainly is relevant to the book, but yeah, I think that that will be like, yes, people who are, you know, maybe buy a presale or something like that. I don't know. Um, nice. but certainly can't let it go to waste. It's you, you write it and rewrite it, you know, a dozen times. And it's like, that's like a, a piece of you kind of, you know, definitely. Well, I can't wait to read yeah, it. I'm pretty I can't excited wait to see for this, dude. Yeah, congrats. it's going to be great. Um, Thank congrats you. Congrats on yeah, getting we're... to the finish line or close to it. And um, yeah, before we let you go, what what kinds of things are you stoked about this time of year or any time of year where you're going out into the wild and you're doing some foraging? What kinds of stuff are you are you finding up there? I mean, we definitely we talked about sassafras and ramps. Those are mm. obviously two uh, two that kind of get me out into into the the deep woods mm-hmm. the journey for pawpaws is always like one of the most exciting things of the year you know oh cool yeah um, where you're just like you're eating two for every one you harvest it feels like you're, you're just uh, in, in frenzy mode uh-huh. yeah. black walnuts for sure mm-hmm. um although those are a bit more like suburban foraging where mm-hmm. like i'm in a park with an extendable 15 foot pole mm-hmm. hammering down black walnuts, but mm-hmm. definitely something that, uh, that I get really, really excited about for sure. American persimmons. They're yeah. just like little, little caramel orbs hanging from mm-hmm. the trees in the fall. Mm-hmm. And like, I love, I love the sort of the evergreens that, you know, maybe don't get as much love cause they're, they're around all year, but I just think that there's so much diversity of flavor, like you said, with, you know, Virginia pine or mm-hmm. juniper or spruce tips in the spring or, you know, mm-hmm. we go we go out to um to the Pine Barrens, the New Jersey Pine Barrens a lot. And there's like, you know, a lot there's like an endemic pine there called the pitch pine. It's like, you know, spiced and, and earthy. And like like you said, it's not it's it's not Christmas tree. Yeah. And just like, you know, reminding people like these these things grow all around us and there's there's flavor there's flavor to be had there's drinks to be made food to be made all with these things that are in many cases like growing right under your nose it's sort of once i I felt it happen with myself and i hope that the the book kind of helps other people see things this way but it sort of changes how you view your reality and your surroundings you know yeah Um, absolutely and whether you've been lied to your whole life, I, I kind of see that in like kids that like only drink Coca Cola their whole life, and then they start learning like the actual flavors that are going into it, and yeah, at, isolated flavors, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Right, but just appreciating and, and exploring and experimenting, and you know, some of, some of those experiments are fails, and some some are like aha moments, you know. Totally. Yeah, I. I uh, Let's plan for September to circle back when the book's out and Definitely. do this again. Would love it. Thanks so much for your time today, and uh, congrats on the book. It'll be out September 5th. We'll, we'll get you back on to, to find out some of the gems that might have been left out, and then Kenneth and I will have a chance to look through it, and I'm sure we'll have a bunch of questions for you then too. Good luck with uh, some of these new spring drinks you're working on, and um, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds like a plan, guys. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. 
Thanks, Danny. Thank you, Danny. Talk right. to you later, talk, man. Talk soon. Peace. That was awesome. Got to give it up for Danny Child. Slow drinks on Instagram. Find him on there. All right, and the time has come. Booze news with Kenneth Dedman. Spring is here. Is the news flowing like wine? I don't know how this is flowing like an IP New England IPA. Uh, Harpoon, Harpoon in Boston is launching its first THC-based beverage. Oh, wow. It's called Wreckweed. Wreckweed? Wreckweed. It's uh, uh, alcohol-free, of course, uh, dry-hopped green tea, passion fruit, 25 calorie, three grams of sugar per can soda Mm. or whatever. Non-alcoholic beer. We we're, we've I got non-alcoholic beer on the calendar. Okay, it's more like a kombucha. We've got it on the calendar, man. It's going to be the golden age of non-alcoholic beers. I think that's the thing this summer. I don't think so, dude. I think all this shit's going away. All these people <laughs> are investing these millions and millions of dollars. Anyway, Rack Weed. It's got like five. It's a twelve ounce with a uh, five milligrams of THC. You know how much that how, how much THC that is. Nothing. Couple hits. <laughs> you gotta. I guess you gotta like. I. I you gotta drink a lot of them mm. to get stoned. Mm. So Whoa. mow the lawn, crush four of them. Twenty five oh. calories. So you need like. You need like a twenty four pack. <laughs> <laughs> what if we're oh just looking gosh. for the benefits of you know the anti inflammatory. We're not doctors. Don't listen to us. Never mind. I hear you. Bro. Um. Yeah. Oh man, they're gonna try it out. And they'll probably sell a shitload of them to teenagers. Well, if it tastes good, hey, tastes good, therapeutic. Sign me up. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Gates. You hear about Bill Gates? I've heard stuff about him. He bought Heineken. He bought some Heineken. Oh wow. Mm. Um, about a billion dollars worth of Heineken. Weird. That's nuts. Out of nowhere. Why? It was like last week. Or no, that was. Yeah, last week. Do you think his girlfriend's like, you don't do shit anymore? And he's like, oh, All right. yeah? All right. Well, watch this. Like, I just fucking bought Heineken, Dutch bitch. ambassador on the phone. <laughs> you tell me I never do anything around here. You know what? 3%, 3% of Heineken, $1 billion. So oh, wow. He, like, only, he only bought 3% of it. Three, Yeah. That is So strange. that's like $33 billion. Huh. Man. Industry, it's fucking crazy. I can know all kinds of shit though. Do you want to knock on Bill Gates or something? I love the video of him jumping over the chair. That's a great one. Maybe we'll pull that up and and post that. I don't know that. Yeah, uh, he like, jumps uh, over this chair. It's like this thing he does. I think he did it on Oprah the first time he was on Oprah. I've wa- Oh, that's he uh, like jumps over a chair just like that to show that he's like physically. Sure, that's fit. not Tom Cruise. <laughs> nice, um, good one. Bill Gates doesn't really drink beer, though. Mm. Um, on a, in an a interview with Ask Me Anything in 2018, he said, I quote, When I end up at, a, at something like a baseball game, I drink a lot of beer, and I get with the vibe with the other beer drinkers. Sorry to disappoint real beer drinkers. He's like, not disappointed. Like, uh, <laughs> not impressed either. <laughs> <laughs> not wanting to hang. <laughs> Whatever. Billion dollars, dude. In beer. That's great. Hmm. Uh, you know the rapper Juvenile? Yeah, a little bit. Name one of his songs. Uh, Bitches and Hoes. I don't know about that, dude. Back that thing up, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> he's a member. Of, he's from where? Uh, I want to say Virginia. No. No, he's from New Orleans. Oh, okay. He's a member of what? What rap group? Uh, Hot Boys. Oh, okay. All right, popular rapper Juvenile, <laughs> who some people te- know, <laughs> teamed up with a uh, rapper Juvenile has teamed up with a popular New Orleans brewery to release a, a spin on a classic beverage, <laughs> the Juvie Juice. <laughs> oh wow, Juvie Juice! Oh it's a God. yeah, it's a hard or a spiked version of like a uh, half lemonade, half um, tea, sweet tea. 
like uh, Arnold Palmer. Wow, a boozy Arnold Palmer that they're calling Juvie Juice. With you talk about marketing to kids. I mean, Jesus, you can do that in New Orleans, man. You can do anything in Louisiana, man. That's true. I'm not going to hate on it. I love it. We did our New Orleans. You can check out five New Orleans cocktails and how to make them, which turned into like eight. Uh, but that was an episode just a couple weeks ago. 5% ABV. It comes in 12 ounce and 19.2 ounce cans. Uh, those are like the big boys in Louisiana. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool. Nice. Um, Juvie juice. Available in, uh, I don't want to talk about Southern California. It's available in Southern California, but don't go there and drink juvie juice. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I had juvenile in uh, in service. Oh wow! One time, yeah, he was uh, he recorded. Uh, I think he almost number one hit. She get it from her mama. He recorded that in Nashville, so he was here for an extended period of time. Oh, cool! This is when I worked in a nightclub. Okay. He walked on his tab every night, like five nights in a row. And he'd come back the next night, pay it, and then walk on the next one, and then come back and pay it, and walk. What did he do on the last night? Did he never come back? Never came back. Yeah, <laughs> it was classic. decent move. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Respect. That was back when people could do that. People would do that. You can't do that now. They're yeah, always like running like, a card, and it's like if you take off, we're charging it. We're charging the tip. Yeah, he's like fuck Nashville, man. He, I'm not you, coming back here. Yeah, but. Systems and people in general just used to be so much more trusting. I guess that's why. What else is booze worthy out there? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Prince Charles, uh, uh, his his coronation's coming up, and they're like, uh, they're they're really pushing the uh, the, the baked cheesy egg, cheesy baked eggs. Apparently, he eats a lot of uh, cheesy baked eggs. Huh? Or not Prince Charles, King Charles, a Charles of uh, what what Windsor? You know what he drinks is uh, like um, uh, non-Islay, like Highland Scotch and Dubonnet. Kind of like a... Oh, interesting. Yeah, like a Highland uh, Manhattan sort of thing. And he eats baked cheesy eggs. I bet they've got a lot of Dubonnet, not just the rouge, but the dry, uh, around the house since the queen kicked it. Because she loved it. Yeah, and the deliveries keep coming. Yeah, they keep coming. They, um, they all just gather around the cases of Dubonnet that keep getting delivered. Uh, I got a little booze news here um, to close on. Sorry, did you want to keep going on that? No, no, That's go, fine. go, go. Okay. I, uh, I was going to get dark as fuck. <laughs> I was going to say like how they all, how the how the royal family like gathers around these cases of Dubonnet that keep getting delivered and cry. Yeah, could be. Maybe they need like, some help drinking it. We can go out there. This is an interesting one. Local to Tennessee, uh, Jack Daniels barrel houses are causing an out-of-control black whiskey fungus in a Tennessee community. Enraged residents say, this is from a Yahoo News report, insider report from Michelle Mark. Yeah, so for those that don't know, there is a fungus that grows mostly like uh, you see see it on the side of rickhouses, a black fungus that Mm. grows. It eats uh, airborne ethanol. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a sooty black mold that can smother homes, porches, and cars. Mm. It obscures street signs. It can coat the leaves and bark of trees. It cements itself to any stationary object. and makes residents question the safety of the air they breathe. This is right there in Lincoln County, Tennessee, uh, fueled by ethanol vapor from Jack Daniels facilities. Been a menace since they started building six barrel houses in 2018 and launched plans to build... 14 more. Jack Daniels production has never been higher. Yeah, worldwide they're just they're still crushing it. So there was one neighbor who uh, chimed in that uh quote he's extremely concerned my wife has breathing problems. One of the neighbors got cancer. It's in the air and you really probably don't want to be breathing that in, but nobody has done a test to determine to determine if it's actually poisonous. He, this guy said he spends about $10,000 a year power washing his house with a potent mixture of water and Clorox. And he said that local, mm. officials, local officials had basically given up trying to clean the fungus-covered street signs, and they simply replace them when they're too black, too blackened to be legible. So this is pretty crazy. Um, Environmental Protection Agency officials have been alerted to this. Lincoln County... 
did not respond to insiders' request for comment, but at a public hearing late last year, a Jack Daniels official, Melvin Keebler, expressed sympathy to one resident who said she had four, stage four lung cancer and requested an air filtration system. Keebler said that the company already monitored its air quality and that existing air filtration technology isn't meant for whiskey and bourbon facilities. Another Jack Daniels spokesperson told Insider that the company could not comment on pending litigation, but that Jack Daniels complies with all local, state, and federal regulations regarding the design, construction, and permitting of our barrel houses. We are dedicated to protecting the environment and the safety and health of our employees and neighbors. I got a prediction. You'll never hear this story again. Everyone that you just mentioned is about to get paid, and they're not going to say a damn word again. That's what you think, yeah. That's that's all that's going to happen. They yeah, still pretty... have to they have to do studies on that first. Mm-hmm. So they're claiming uh, let's wait and see the science, which buys them time to clean up this story per se. It's over, over before it started. All right. Well, we might follow up on this story. We might not. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty interesting that it's right protest, there. Though it's fun. right there in our backyard. All right, well, a nice, succinct, action-packed booze news today. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was amazing talking to Danny. Um, Look forward to his book and everything. And uh, get yourself out there. Do some foraging. See what's growing. Make sure you know what you're you're looking at and identifying. Don't eat anything that you don't know what it is. Cross-check it with potentially poisonous lookalikes and be safe out there. But get outside and enjoy yourself in this beautiful weather that's coming on here in Middle Tennessee. My name's Mike Wolf. Shout out to producer Michael Eads and everybody at We Own This Town. Thank you, Michael. Just matching for the logo. Jess, we love you. Congratulations to you on one year and, and change. And um, shout out to Upright T-Rex Music for the tunes. Check us out at liquidgold.show. And follow us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. And we'll see you next time. We've got a Shots episode on the Irish coffee coming up for next week for St. Patty's Day. So looking forward to that. And we'll see you with plenty more to come right here. I'm Kenneth Dedman. And we'll see you next time on Liquid Gold.